Welcome to Crossed Over, the show where you hear stories of people who have been transformed by Jesus Christ, who have truly crossed over from death to life. Well, welcome to Crossed Over. It is episode five this week, and I'm excited that you have tuned in and joined us whether you're watching on video, whether it's YouTube or Rumble, or perhaps you're listening to the podcast on Spotify or um, Apple Podcasts. Thank you for joining us for Crossover. Uh, if you've watched all of the episodes or listened to all of them, or perhaps maybe this is the first one that you've joined us, uh, let me remind you why why Crossover. I uh, felt led a while back to, uh, to provide an opportunity for people like you to hear stories, stories of uh, people whose lives have been changed by Jesus. And uh, if you can go back and just a shout out to some of the previous episodes, um, I was able the very first crossed over to share my story of how Jesus changed my life. And uh, really this show crossed over is based from John 5, 24, where Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me, has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. So that's the reason we have the show. So this episode is no different. Uh, my guest that will come on just a little bit is going to share how Jesus has really changed his life in so many different ways. Uh, before we continue, I, I do want to encourage you, if you happen to be uh, however avenue, whatever avenue you're joining us today, to subscribe, to like, to share. Uh, to continue to listen and get the word out uh, for those. We want to promote this as much as we can, and we need your help. So the more you subscribe, uh, the more it helps us get the word out. I also, before we continue and bring our guests on today, I uh, want to give um, a little recognition to our show's sponsor, even though um, they don't give us any money, which is fine because we want them to raise money. It's River City Church in Vancouver, Washington. Uh, they have... Uh, planted a church, a guy by the name of Ryan and his wife Clarissa sit home, have planted a church there in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, they have started a church planning fundraiser called Church Plant Coffee, uh, gospel impact with every sip. So if you love coffee, uh, support them, order some coffee. The website for that, for those of you listening and can't see the link on the screen, it's churchplantcoffee.com churchplantcoffee.com. Well, it's time for me to introduce my guest today. And if you have joined us for the first number of episodes, you realize there's a trend here. Uh, the pattern here is leadership here at First Baptist Church in Kings Mountain, North Carolina, where I am the missions pastor. And uh, I shared my story in the first episode, then our pastor, Brother Chip Sloan, our discipleship pastor, Shane Doty. Last week was our worship pastor, Jonathan Bunden. And this week, we bring in our student pastor. Uh, his name is Jason Mills. So, Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So glad you are here. And uh, I, I, I hope everyone recognizes the greatness that has just entered the screen. And join us for the show. Uh, it's glowing Jason, in here. 
I know. Well, Jason is just a few offices over from me as we record this, but uh, Jason, I'm going to talk about you for a minute, for just a few minutes. Uh, Jason, like I said, is our student pastor here at First Baptist, and just this last week, he celebrated he celebrated his seventh anniversary as our student years. pastor. But he served a first tour with us. We'll get to a little later in our show when he worked with me when I was the student pastor here at First Baptist. But uh, the most important thing, he is the husband uh, to his wife, Heather, and they have an adorable, um, wide-open <laughs> son named Rylan. Wild boy. Who uh, loves dinosaurs. And um, he's a, a wonderful little kid. So he's he's a dad and a husband and a great family guy. Mm. One of the joys that I sh- share uh, with Jason um, is student ministry. Jason's our student pastor, and I am overjoyed, Jason, that you have been my kid's student pastor for the past many years. I have a daughter that's in college, and you were her youth pastor, um, student pastor all throughout her youth ministry experience. And my other daughter is graduating this year, and I have another son and, and another one behind that who experienced you as student pastor. Uh, something that you need to know about Jason is Jason, as you can see on the screen, for those of you watching, for those of you listening, you just have to imagine in your mind, Jason has much cooler hair than anyone else here at the church <laughs> on staff. And uh, Jason and I always have this strange habit of getting our hair cut at the same time. So Jason, did same you notice? I got my haircut just for this interview for you. <laughs> I got mine this Monday, so we're still tracking on the same week. Isn't it strange? And you listeners, as you tune in, you've got to understand, Jason and I have this weird uh, connection that we always happen to get our haircut the same week. I, we don't plan it. It no, just happens. happens. Well, one more thing before we kind of get into the interview, Jason, I am really glad that you're here with us, is that Jason loves the North Carolina Tar Heels. He yeah, is a heels. he is a heel. He is a <laughs> he's a North Carolina guy. And so, just for you, Jason. Now, for those of you watching, uh, you're gonna you're gonna really get this. I got this just for you. Oh my uh, goodness! I have oh for those of you listening. I just put a sticker, a little graphic on the screen. Uh, the Jason <laughs> for Jason that says, "I love Duke." Uh huh. Jason, I'm gonna get that wow. off for you, just so you don't have to stare at that. Jason <laughs> and I. I've had a big rivalry with Duke and Carolina for a long time, but mm. I digress. Let's talk about more important things. Hey, <laughs> welcome to the show. Welcome to Crossover. Hey, well, thank you for having me, and it's just been amazing watching person by person each week kind of talk about their faith, so thanks for having me. It's going to be well, good. Well, uh, I'm grateful that Jason was the one that uh, helped me out with a little bit, pointing me in the right direction with uh, the program that we're using here. Uh, is, uh, is a neat program that allows us to do split screen and do all this cool editing. So, um, Jason, North Carolina, born and bred. You grew up in the mountains in the Asheville area. Uh, share with us a little bit about your childhood, where you grew up, some of your experiences that shaped you, a little bit more about kind of your personal um, family life, if you would. So, yeah, I, I grew up uh, really right in the heart of Asheville. And, of course, Asheville has many different communities, and I was at the heart of that. It took me about two minutes to get to the city. I really didn't live in the city. Um, we went to school in Weaverville. Uh, that's where uh, my mom worked. 
Uh, so we didn't go to school in Asheville. We went to school in Weaverville. But there was just all kind of stuff surrounding me. You had the Biltmore House. You have Tuttle Road with the mall and all that. You have downtown is, you know, uh, it's its own entity by itself. And so I was just really spread out from city life to kind of going in the country a little bit in Weaverville. And uh, so that's kind of the location of where I grew up. Uh, my mom was uh, a piano player. And so she learned piano very young in her life and um, loved the Lord and loved the church. And so church was a very big part of my growing up. My mom played every Sunday at this small country church, Flat Creek Baptist Church in Weaverville, North Carolina. Um, there was only about 80 members there. Uh, we did not have a youth program. Uh, it was uh, just a, a collective group of, of, of people that met and, and loved the Lord. Uh, but she was there every Sunday, every funeral she played at, every wedding she played at. And so I never could really remember a time where I just wasn't in church. And so uh, a little bit about my dad. My dad um, worked uh, really hard. At times he had two jobs. And so he worked at a Phillips station. He uh, sold gas and he also made it into kind of a convenience store to where he sold produce. Um, and he also, on his second job, um, he actually worked over a carp lake. So he managed all the fish there and did some tournaments there. And so uh, that's kind of what it was like. Both, both my mom and my dad um, were believers in Christ, came from a Christian home. And that's kind of a little bit of my foundation there. Well, I know that when we uh, were talking, you know, beforehand, before the show, uh, you, you spoke about the influence of your grandparents. Talk, talk with me a little bit about your grandparents. Yeah, so my grandparents on my mom's side, my grandfather was a choir director at a very, very small church. The church was only about 30 people, but he would get up and he would just lead and sing and have other people sing. So he was all the time uh, talking to me about church, talking about uh, the Lord to me. Uh, was We had many porch conversations sitting out and he would share different verses of scripture with me and he would uh, talk about the Lord very often. And, and my grandmother as well. They were both uh, uh, God-believing people and uh, centered around the Lord, um, which kind of fell to my mom and then has fallen to me. Uh, my dad's side, uh, both both his parents, his uh, mom and dad, was very engaged in, a, in another small church as well. And uh, so I was just really surrounded by people who, who love Jesus and uh, live for him. Yeah. Well, okay, so let's let's talk about that for a minute. So, you know, as, as, as we shared last week with Jonathan, you know, Jonathan here on the church staff kind of shares a similar testimony, grew up in church um, from when you were a young age. Uh, build on that, if you would, sharing about your family. You know, when you grow up in, in a family of Christians, there's not really a time that you never— you know, you, that you don't love Jesus, that you're not surrounded right. by being in church, you know, and sometimes that that transition, it, it's not as clear, so to speak, or there could be a, mm -hmm. some, you know, I, I guess what I'm asking is, you know, when did things change for you when faith and the talk about Jesus and maybe being um, taught the Bible and things, when did it change from being environmental to personal for you? Okay, so I started noticing um, growing up, especially around elementary school, it just uh, helped me see it more clearly. 
um, that, you know, you can call yourself a Christian and say that you're a Christian, but that means a lot of different things for a lot of different people and how they define that. Some would define that based on just membership to a church. Uh, some might even define that uh, just based on, uh, you know, uh, I've, I try to do good things. Um, and so it, it means different things for different people. Well, what I started noticing in my mom, especially uh, in my elementary school years, is how devoted she was in her lifestyle uh, by living a godly life at home. And I would see her uh, read God's word uh, in her bed as I was going to bed. I noticed that. That was just very clear to me. Uh, she would pray for us, uh, pray for our school, pray for my health, uh, just pray for anything. She would ask me for things that she could pray for. It was very intentional. Uh, my mom would also just model, this was so huge to me, model servanthood. Uh, she, was, she was a teacher, and so she taught sixth grade math uh, from her time out, out of college, uh, and she retired from teaching. And uh, from the time that she got home, uh, she would be doing her homework or she would be fixing food. Uh, she would making, be making sure I would do my homework. Uh, we would go outside many times, play basketball together. Uh, it sincerely was a, a life of sacrifice for my mom, of laying her life down to care for myself and my, my younger brother, Kevin. And so that just became very apparent. And not only uh, when she went to church just to play, but there were many times where she would tell me, you know, uh, Jason, God has gifted me as a magician, and that's what I'm called to do. And so she would talk about playing for the Lord um, and loving to do that, loving to lead other people in, in worship, but also volunteering uh, her services when other people just needed someone to play. And it just it went so far beyond just our small country church, but other churches used her uh, because of her gifts. And so it, it's just amazing to see that in my mom. My dad, uh, kind of on the other side, was a lot more reserved. Uh, my dad was a really hardworking man, uh, truly believed in uh, wanting us to have the best life, to support us, to care for us, as any guy would, would have that ingrained in them. And so he had two jobs, and so I really didn't see my dad that much. He uh, would wake up really early, 4.30, and go to work, so I wouldn't see him often before we'd go to school. Uh, he would come home around lunchtime and uh, maybe kind of nap, sleep, get something to eat, and then he would go uh, working at the lake or his other job. Sometimes he actually had two fill-up stations that he was managing. So, you know, the really only time I saw my dad was at night usually. And so a big part of the day doing homework and just spending time together just never really happened during the week, but mainly happened uh, on the weekend and especially on Sunday. My dad would drive me to church on Sunday many times because my mom would already be there kind of preparing and stuff like that. And uh, we'd always put on Christian music, and I know that we would kind of listen to that on Sundays and come best dressed, you know, for, for worship. But one of the things that I noticed about my dad just being so reserved is we'd always sit in the front pew because my mom would always be leading worship. It was just a piano player at the time. We didn't have an organist and a, and a worship leader. And my dad would stand up, and I remember standing up with my dad. But my dad would never sing. He would put his hands in his pockets, and he would just stay there. And that's really what taught me worship is my dad. I looked up to my dad. I wanted to be like my dad. I valued his hard work and the lessons he taught me. But I was also valuing and learning from him as he worshiped. And he he didn't sing. 
And so I, that was a part of my discovery later on that I had a hard time learning how to worship because my dad didn't model that for me. So I, I kind of had a polar opposite in some ways. My dad would say he loves the Lord, but he was very reserved, not sharing and, and openly expressing his faith uh, in, a, in a weekly basis like my mom would and did. She was really the spiritual leader of my home. So it was, it was definitely... Uh, uh, two people, two different ways of expressing their beliefs, but both saying that they are are believers in Christ. So you're in that environment with your mm. your dad's working a lot, um, your mom's there. Um, you've got a spiritual foundation. Um, you know you're surrounded by uh, these faith things. Um, mm. What about Jason? Jason and Jesus, you know, what, what, if you're, how, how did you process these things as a, as a boy and as a young man? And when did it, when did it change for you? Uh, really, when did it become real for you? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting you ask that. Um, I can't remember a time that I would say that I was not a Christian, which might sound really strange, but for me, uh, I grew up in a church that, um, taught the Bible. I had people that surrounded me in the church. Uh, um, uh, one person uh, in particular was Don Revis, uh, his wife Brenda. They were in their 50s, and I remember them following us, following me, my brother, uh, journeying through our youth group years, um, and they were senior adults. And because we didn't have youth pastors, they felt the need to just pour into us. And so um, I received God's word every week. I saw their love for people. I saw their love displayed uh, in my life for all those years. Uh, my mom, especially. Uh, my dad, uh, especially. And so there wasn't a time where I couldn't tell you I wasn't a Christian. In fact, I said that I was a Christian. My mom, I remember a conversation uh, this was when I was uh, 10 years old and, and she was talking to me by my bed. And I remember her asking, um, you know, when is there going to be a point where you fully surrender your life to Jesus uh, to be a Christian? And I said, well, mom, I said, I, I am a Christian. You know, I know that Jesus loves me and I know that I love him. You know, that was just so natural to me. And I felt that to the core of who I was. And mom was very clear. She said, well, just because, you know, you are in this family, just because you know Jesus loves you, uh, doesn't make you a Christian, um, you know? And and so I, I said, okay, well, well, tell me more. And she said, well, I believe, I, I wanna, I'm gonna talk to you about that, but I'm gonna also let the pastor talk to you about that. So I remember going to him after a Sunday service and him kind of talking to me a little bit about that. And I, and I started begin understanding, but I still, it was just hard to convince myself that I wasn't a Christian because uh, as far as I knew, uh, I came from a godly family and I, I kind of felt like I was just in because of, of them. But then my mom came back and said, no, you have to make that decision for yourself personally, just like I've had to make that decision personally, just as your dad, just as your grandparents had to make that decision personally. It's a personal decision. And so my mom began to, to talk about that. And, and I told her, I know that I was far apart from the Lord in my sin. I knew that um, I had wrong in my life. I knew that uh, that separated me from the Lord, and and I needed to repent from that. I, I think that I felt like I was so good and okay with God that I just, um, I didn't get around to repenting. I didn't get around to uh, 
just seeing the full weight and condition of my sin, which meant separation from God. And once once she helped me understand that, and once I understood that, and I was able to repeat that back to her, and I felt the weight of my sin, um, I repented. And I remember praying uh, at the home, and she uh, led me in that. And I remember praying to the Lord and confessing my sin and uh, asking Jesus to come in my life. And um, I want to I want him to be uh, Lord of my life. And so that that following Sunday, I went down uh, and, and let the congregation know that I've done this on my own, uh, that I've asked the Lord to come in my life and, and change me, make me new so that I will live for him forevermore. And then following that, uh, two weeks later, I was baptized. And still a part of my story is um, I, I fully didn't understand um, after I made that decision, what would happen next? You know, the church told me, well, the next thing you need to do is, is have baptism or go through baptism. I mean, I knew kind of just seeing what baptism was at 10, uh, it kind of scared me, to be honest with you. I didn't really fully understand the, the significance of it. And still to this day, at that time, was never explained fully the, the significance of it. But I just felt like, man, you know, if God wants me to do it, I'm all in, like I'm going to do it. And so I did it out of obedience, but at the same time, I feel like I didn't understand the significance of it. Um, and so two weeks later I was baptized and then, um, and then that was, that was my story on how I received him. Okay. So let's build on that a little bit. You know, you see, you've, you've grown up in a family. Um, I, that's a great illustration because I think, even from my kids growing up a Christian family, I think there's there can be this sense that I'm a Christian because I do all the things that seem to be Christian surrounded by it. Uh, but the great explanation of, you know, every person has to, it's got to be personal. You have to make a choice um, mm. of, of what you do with Jesus, you know, and what you do, uh, you know, in response to what he's done for us. So I um, appreciate you sharing that. Um, so as a Christian now, you're... Uh, you're headed within a few years. You go into your teen years. You're mm. still involved in uh, in a small church. Um, share if you would, because you know, we talked about this. That uh, yes, part of the Christian life, obviously the foundational part of the Christian life, is that you are use the church word saved. You know that you've repented of your sins. You've followed Christ in faith. He makes you a new creation, as the Bible says. Okay, so as how did you begin to see God pour his life into you? Maybe some experiences you had. I know we talked about this, but share with you over the next few years during, obviously, your student ministry, you're in student ministry, a student pastor, you know the importance of the development of, a, of someone's faith during those teen years. Mm. How about for you? What, what were your teen years like as a Christian Maybe some of the struggles, some of the growth. How did you see God move and pour his life into you? Well, I know just like with young people and um, maybe those who are listening uh, have heard this before from their children or maybe we have teens listening too. Oftentimes the story kind of goes, um, you know, I've given my life to Christ and then there was a time in my life where I was just really bold for him. I was passionate. I was following him. I was willing to say, like Isaiah did, here am I, send me wherever. I'm ready to I'm ready to build God's kingdom. I'm, I'm willing to to agree with God in that and, 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 and live for him. But then there's also a moment, um, where like that, that phase kind of, kind of dissolves. 
and you're you're kind of like okay what's next and you hear a lot of times for young people is they kind of they they drift uh it, it's kind of like uh, they once received christ and then you know christ doesn't become that important anymore to their life or maybe they even rebel against that my story is a little bit different um i love what you said with um you know crossover from death to life because that was my story um i was dead i was hopeless i was completely separated from from christ and then I embraced that. I received that. I believed it. I, I trusted in it. And um, Christ paid that price for me. He, he changed me over from death to life. And um, oftentimes, you know, maybe some people who have given their life to Christ at a very young age, like I did when I was 10, maybe some of you guys are listening and, and you were younger. You might even like question, like, was I really saved at that point? Well, because I was so young, I didn't fully understand all of it. And I didn't. I didn't fully understand it. But yeah. one of the... Um, convictions that I've had that gave me confidence in the salvation that I that I've received from Christ was the attitude that I had that I wanted to live for him I, I, I strongly felt I want to live for him I want to serve him and throughout my high school or middle school high school I didn't have a youth pastor I didn't have a youth program uh, we didn't have a Wednesday night youth program the only church that I was really a part of was on on Sundays and it was big church you know and so I didn't have a a person in my life who mentored me, discipled me. I had Don and Brenda and others who were senior adults that took me under their wing. But you know as well as I do, there are things that teenagers struggle with. Um, they're not willing to talk to their parents about it because it's too close. They certainly aren't willing to talk to a 60, 70-year-old person just because the age gap is so large, so spread out. I just didn't know what to do about my faith. We grew up in a, a very traditional church. It was a King James Bible. I had a very difficult time understanding that, so I didn't read my Bible on my own. I didn't grow from that. Um, being in big church, it was uh, very much the King James Bible, too, and a lot of times it felt like it was over my head. So I feel like whenever I was going through uh, my early stages of, of being a Christian, um, I had a desire to live for him. And so my life uh, in middle school and high school reflected that. Uh, in high school, I remember there were a lot of parties that I would get invited to. And I had a conviction to say, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. Um, there was a conviction when I knew like my friends even uh, were caught up in bullying someone or making fun of someone who was an atheist at the time. I remember that, uh, that scene very well. And earlier on, I would go along with them. But man, I felt this conviction. What am I doing? Like I am a Christian. I am saved by the Lord and I'm supposed to live like he wants me to live. And so there were a moment that I came to that conversation with that person and I said, I'm sorry. Look, I've, I've been with my friends. I've said some mean things to you and um, I'm sorry. I shouldn't live like that. I know whose I am and I need to stand for who I am and for who God is. And, and so he said, I really appreciate that. You know, that was very odd for him for someone to do that. But there were periods of my life, middle school, high school, where there were things that I just didn't engage in because the conviction that I had, but also there was an attitude from my mom, um, being a servant from my dad, who was a very strong worker to honor God uh, in my hard work at school, but also to honor God in serving, whether I played on sports teams, the coach, uh, serving um, just in different positions in school. Uh, uh, that was a big part of my identity in Christ was I, I tried to live that out because I was in conviction. That's who I was supposed to stand for. Well, um, I want you to share a little bit about because I know this about your story. 
God opened the door for you to to work in a senior living facility. Uh, I believe it was one of the Baptist homes, correct? Mm-hmm. Share about that briefly, if you would. Um, you know, the surround this maybe the uh, situation surrounding how you got that position, but really what God taught you through that. Mm, um, absolutely. So this funny story, but my dad, um, it was when I was 14 years old and I remember, um, like people who were 16, they were getting cars and families were giving cars out to their kids or helping them, you know, with, with finances with that. And I just got up the idea. I want to go up to my dad. I'm going to start the conversation early. So I said, dad, you know, I'm about to be 15, getting my permit. Like, you know, what are we going to do with my car? You know, are, are you just going to give me a car? How's that going to work? And he was like, well, son, uh, you, you need to get a job. And I was like, dad, but I'm only 14. And dad's like, ah, you need to get a job. And so I remember that summer, my aunt worked at a Baptist retirement home as a cook and they needed someone to do dishes. And uh, dad said that would be a perfect place. So I started washing dishes in a Baptist retirement home uh, when I was 14 years old. It was uh, a place of about 400 to 500 residents. I was locked in a room that was really hot and I had such a, a job that everybody would want. Right. I washed dishes. And, um, and, and I loved it. I, I don't know why I loved it, but I just, maybe it was the servant nature that my mom instilled in me, the hard effort of work ethic that my dad instilled in me, but I absolutely loved it. And God opened the doors for me of many, many different opportunities where he partnered with me with people working there. And I was able to just grow in my faith. Uh, one person uh, in particular, her name is Miss Mary. She trained me because at that point uh, they, they wanted me to start working in assisted living where I would be serving food for folks over in that department. And Miss Mary told me as she was training me, she said, listen, every day is not going to be a honeymoon stage. Every day is not going to be just all roses. You're going to get residents who are cranky, mad, don't like the food. And you're just going to have to respond to that. And she said, the way that I always respond to those situations is if you would imagine that person being your grandmother, who's at the very end of her life. And, you know, her life isn't all pleasant all the time. She, she has pain. Uh, She doesn't live with her family in a comfortable home anymore. So you could just imagine what a resident would feel living like that. And I was like, well, yeah. And she said, well, if you would serve every person like it was your grandmother who you love, she said, then you'll ultimately be serving them in the way that Jesus would want you to serve them. And so that just stuck to me. And um, every time I can't say that I was perfect with that, but I tried to model, you know, whatever you would want, I would go willingly out of my way to make you feel as satisfied as you possibly could, could feel. And I trained other people coming uh, after me the same way that Mary trained me. And so God just opened up many opportunities for me to serve him in closed doors, in closed corners, and, and also giving me an opportunity to teach other people about servanthood. And, and that just really lit a fire for me because I knew that God loved people and he calls us to care for people. And uh, that was one way that I could uh, represent God in maybe um, an environment that not always was happy, not always was pleasant. Um, but I, hopefully my light shined through because that's really what I wanted it to. Hmm. Hmm. Not many uh, teenagers serve through the heart of their teenage years in a position like that, uh, menial task. And uh, having known you for 17 years, I know where you get a lot of your you know, servant's heart from. I know God uh, definitely shaped you in that. Okay, so 
fast forward a little bit, you you finish high school. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're thinking, I've got big plans, you know, for the future, <laughs> plans of yeah. grandeur. What? How was God leading you? Um, share a little bit about how you ended up. Now, you know, Gardner Webb is a university that's near here in Kings Mountain in Cleveland County. Uh, many people don't know that that really wasn't your first choice or where you, how you ended up there. Share briefly, if you would, about, um, I guess, graduating high school and how you ended up in our area. Mm. You know, I, I feel like this season of my life has always been defined by um, moments where God wanted me to learn how to depend on him. You know, you, you depend on Jesus through um, acknowledging he is Lord, um, but you don't always depend on God through your life. In fact, uh, I had it really good at the Baptist home. I mean, I was in a position of leadership. I was making money. I bought my own car. I mean, things were going great, um, but I didn't really learn to depend on the Lord. Uh, when I was in high school, I started um, going to this technical school. When I was in ninth grade, I started building computers. I, I love networking ever since I was in ninth grade, and um, that was just a big passion for me. I kind of got that passion and that love kind of confused with what God ultimately wanted me to do. I was thinking, man, I'm good at this. Maybe God wants me to me to do that. And, and certainly he works that way, but not, not in all situations. He didn't with my life. And so, um, so when my senior year came, uh, I was kind of back and forth with careers and I applied really late to NC state, I uh, kind of procrastinated with that. And I got in, but I didn't get into my spring semester. They had a cap and it was all full and I was going to be an engineer. That's what I thought, you know, I was good at. And so maybe that's where God wanted me. I, I didn't really turn to him. I didn't really seek him with that decision. I just thought, well, I'm good at it. So it must be what God wants me to do. And uh, could be nothing further from the truth. I, I remember um, being a teacher's son. Um, education was always big in my family. And so I knew that because I didn't get accepted to NC State until that spring, I had to be in school somewhere. It was just kind of an expectation. And so, um, you know, I was working, I changed jobs and I started working at a Christian bookstore. If you've ever heard of family Christian bookstore in Asheville, it was the carpenter shop. Well, I, I worked as a, uh, a manager of music. So I did that kind of part time while I was in school. But I went to UNCA. I remember applying. It was very local, about three miles from my house. So I was just going to do that one semester and transfer. And I'll never forget from the, the first orientation, God was just sending me just red warning signs like you do not belong here here. You know, what are you doing? Um, Do you understand what I have for you? Um, And I didn't. But I remember being in that first freshman orientation. And I remember um, that the woman who was in charge of freshman orientation came up and she was welcoming everybody. My mom was sitting beside myself and my dad. And uh, she said, I would like uh, to introduce you to my partner. And her partner came up and it was a female and they hugged. And it was just like one of these awkward moments where I was like, oh, my gosh, it's just like, you know, even in freshman orientation, I was very convicted about this moment. And it was like one of these red flag moments in my life that was so in my face that I was like, wow, this is very awkward. And and other things were awkward as well in that freshman orientation. I remember a skit that was made about alcohol and it was people partying in a dorm room and there were alcohol bottles all around and, you know, someone knocked on the door and people were drinking and everything like that. And so um, they came on that says, you know, you need to be wise about 
uh, drinking and how you drink. And it wasn't uh, almost a, a negative. It was just like, we know you're going to drink, but just be wise about it. So they talked about buses that would actually bus students from the campus downtown because they knew they were going to go down there to drink so that at least they're not going to be on the road. They could be safely escorted back to campus. But that was one scene that I remembered. And I, again, there's red flags kind of going off. And then they talked about um, having sex on campus. And they said, now you go to this such and such building with this uh, this room and you can go and, and find protection because you know that uh, you're likely to have sex in college and we just want you to do it safe. All that was just hit at freshman orientation. And I just knew, I was like, what am I getting myself into? Uh, further on in that, I had, um, I didn't have one Christian professor. I remember um, being in an English class my first semester and there were probably maybe 50 to 100 people in there. And uh, he made it known very clearly that he is not a Christian. He is an atheist. That's what he believed. It was kind of like if you've watched, um, you know, the movie God's Not Dead, it was kind of one of those moments where he said, now I want you to write your first paper about what you believe, what your faith beliefs are. And I remember him saying, okay, how many atheists are there in class? And a lot of people raise their hand. And how many, um, how many Muslims do we have? And not so many raise their hand. Now, Wiccan was really huge in Asheville. So there were some Wiccan people that raised their hand. And the last group that he got to was Christian. And, you know, for the first time, I hesitated even to raise my hand because of the pressure in the environment and just how I would be looked on by the professor who really made his actions known that he was he was an atheist and not really a fan of Christians. And um, three of us raised our hand and I just raised kind of half heartedly about that. And he kind of uh, said, you know, well, I really expect a good paper about what you believe and, and why you believe it, because, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be graded hard. And I, and I just remember, you know, talking to him after class and I said, I, I just can't do this. I can't. I don't feel like I could be in your class and try to be a victim and, and feel like I'm going to be uh looked down upon just because of my beliefs. And I ended up quitting that class. Uh, I didn't tell my parents because I was ashamed of it. Um, I was in another class that was over 200 people. Uh, I knew that wasn't the environment for me. I wasn't known by my professors. They really didn't care if I was there or not. And so it just kind of, again, was despair uh, kind of put on me. And so it, it got so bad that I just completely quit all my classes in the fall. Um, I actually started working more so my parents wouldn't know. My parents would always check on me. How you doing? I'm doing really great. Doing really great. You know, you just have so much shame and so much embarrassment over just uh, the life that you were living. You just couldn't. I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. I remember when my midterms came up and I got on my computer just because knowing computers really well. And I got to where I could change my grades online. And so I changed my grades. Um, I printed it out. I showed my mom the report cards. I was making A's and B's. And if you saw my original report card, it would have N.A. because I wasn't in class. I, I had nothing. But uh, but that's how I lived my first semester. And I remember getting a letter and scholarships that would be mailed to my house. And I every time that I would try to get beat my mom home early because I knew there was a, 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 a like a scholarship uh, envelope that said, you know, something about your scholarships, how you do. And I didn't want to just face reality. So I would take them, rip them up or just keep them in a special place where my parents wouldn't know. Well, thinking, hey, well, life will get better in my spring semester. I'm going to give it one more shot because I just knew that I couldn't go to NC State. I didn't have a GPA. Um, it didn't get better. In fact, I, I tried to make it happen as best as I could. I kind of went, you know, even though I knew God was saying, you know, this is this is not where you are supposed to be. I just kind of tried to put on a good act. 
And I remember studying uh, with a group of people for a class and alcohol was all over the place. Uh, the environment, drugs were there. And I just, I knew in my spirit, I, I felt so convicted by the Lord that you don't need to be here. <laughs> you don't need to be in this place. Uh, wrong was going on and you don't need to be at this school. That it just drove me not to attend any more classes. And uh, I didn't go to class. Um, I was embarrassed by that. Uh, my parents didn't find out about that until the very uh, last of the last times. And and I remember uh, my mom getting this envelope and I it just had to be this one. Uh, and it said that hey, Jason Mills uh, can no longer step on the grounds at UNCA nor be a student. And that was a Monday um, afternoon that she received that. I was coming home from work, uh, just unexpected. Uh, and, and my dad, my mom was there. He actually took that evening off work. And that was a very hard conversation. Um, a lot of tears, a lot of uh, regret, um, a lot of anger, a lot of uh, waste of money. Um, and uh, so much so that my grandmother that I told you about earlier, who was such an honorable God follower, came uh, to my rescue, so to speak, and was having a conversation with my parents in one room. I was uh, kind of cap kept in my room uh, for the time being, and it, it was just my, 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 my car was taken, my phone was taken, everything was taken. Uh, was How am I going to go back to school? It just wouldn't happen. I have no GPA. I just knew that from then on, I just had to, to start working. And, you know, you talk about work. This is how God works. Um, at Family um, Christian Bookstore, where I work, there was this, um, this girl that um, went to Gardner-Webb. And, um, and what was so interesting in that time where I was just so lost, uh, the first time I opened up my King James Bible, and I, I wanted to draw near to the Lord because I felt like, that's who I had. That's all that I could turn to. That's who I had in my life. That's who's always given me stability, a rock. Um, I just needed to kind of draw near to him. And I, this is the only way I knew how. I was told to read the Bible, told, told that I should, just never had. Um, and I started reading through Luke. And when I got to Luke 10 too, the words just still echo in my soul. It says, for the harvest is abundance, but the workers are few. The harvest is abundance and the workers are few. And that verse drew me back to a conversation my grandfather before he died when I was in seventh grade. He always told me, he said, Jason, you're going to be a minister. And I would just laugh because if you guys knew, I would could not even go on the stage. I had stage fright. Um, also, I developed a lisp. When I was in elementary school, I couldn't say R's, C-H's, S, S's, and I actually had to go through a speech um, kind of class when throughout elementary school, even, even the first of my sixth grade year. And so I just had a lot of that weighing on me. So I was like, there's no chance. There's no way. Like, I just, it's not possible, you know? And so I just kind of dismissed it. And he'd always tell me, you're going to go into mystery one day. I just know it. God has revealed that to me. And I just would dismiss it. Well, through that process and reading through that verse, I, I kind of turned back to the Lord and I said, God, you know, whatever you want from me, I'm, I'll, I'll do it. Just lead me. I just need you to be my, my God, my shepherd. I remember going to church and there were people in the church that was checking on college with me and didn't really want to get into the conversation. 
but they said, have you figured out what you're going to do? And I said, not really. You know, at that time I, I was, I was just very uncertain. And they said, well, why not be a youth pastor? I see that in you. You know, we don't have a youth pastor in our church and I just see God leading you into youth ministry, just random people. There were two occasions on two different Sundays where someone just randomly come up to me and just spoke in my life. I see you being a youth pastor. I see you being involved in ministry. So with scripture, with God using people, with um, all that coming together at a head, I just said, man, maybe it's ministry. So I prayed and, and I started applying to two different colleges, both of which I felt like maybe could be a possibility of me going to school there. Both of those colleges sent me back letters of saying, uh, you can't go here. You have no GPA. Maybe think about trying to go to a technical school, earn some some." some points, the GPA points, and then apply, and maybe we'll talk about it. So you could just imagine, just because God is leading you somewhere, telling you something that's very obvious, doesn't matter everything's going to work out like you think it will, because it certainly didn't with me. I had I had a very high, but then I was very low in two big valleys. But God knew what he was doing, and because I worked at the Baptist, or because I worked at the Family Christian store at the time, one of the workers who just came just for the summer went to Gardner-Webb, and she said, have you considered Gardner-Webb? I was like, what's Gardner-Webb? I had no idea what Gardner-Webb was. It's a Baptist school. Really? I didn't know that, you know? And so I said, okay, well, she had to give me the web address. I had, I, I knew nothing. I didn't even know where it was located, but just for her sake, I said, I'd give it a try. And what's so cool, how God uses people with Jeremy Fern at this, at this church. Now he was um, my advisor and Jeremy picked up the phone and said, Hey, I'm, I'm Jeremy. I'm going to lead you through this process. You need to get in your application, turn in all this stuff and I'll just walk you through it. I had no idea how much Gardner Webb cost, where it was. I had no details whatsoever. I just said, here, my Lord, if this is where you want me, uh, you know, I just said, please work it out. Well, it was so crazy. Um, I called Jeremy back the second day and I said, there's no chance. This school is so much money. I'm still paying off debt from my first experience. I, I just can't afford it. There's just not a chance. And he just said, uh, fill out the application. And the way the application works is you fill out your name, address, all your contact information. But when you're applying to the religious studies department, you had to write out your testimony on the front page. And then you had other questions. Well, I sent that in, got that in. Jeremy, because is so God, there's no other way to explain it. Jeremy called me Monday at 930, around 930. I was at the Family Christian Bookstore. Todd, the manager, called me back to the back and said, you got someone who needs to talk to you. And it was Jeremy. And Jeremy said, I just got to tell you this. Um, the religious study department always reads the applications on a Friday. And they pass them around. They pray over them. They read them. And they got to your application and felt the hand of God calling you here. And they said uh, unanimously, they prayed over it and they turned it back in and, and said they want him to be a student here. So Jeremy was calling me to say, hey, you've got accepted. And I was like, are you kidding me? I, I haven't turned in like transcripts, anything. I haven't done any of that. He was like, you know, we feel that God is leading you here. And so that is how I became a student at Gardner-Webb. It was just completely God. <laughs> no, there's no other way to explain it. So, Wow. Wow. Well, as um, our listeners can tell, you are uh, you're shy. You don't like to talk, and you <laughs> right. have no stage fright whatsoever. Um, no, no. In all seriousness, um, we're definitely going to have to have you back to share uh, share more. And as we wrap up, uh, we do for time's sake. But um, a real brief story. I want to give you the opportunity, as we do in every episode. 
to share, um, if you would, just a, a few words to some of our listeners that might be uh, a final word of encouragement or challenge. Um, as you're thinking about that, uh, what people don't know here, and that will be part of our part two episode, is that uh, when Jason came to Gardner-Webb, uh, not too long after he came to Gardner-Webb, uh, I was looking for uh, people to help in my student ministry. And Jason and I got connected that I walked in the, the student center there at Gardner-Webb and interviewed this young man who shared a little bit of the story you've heard today. And uh, you know, God really impressed upon me that uh, that I, you know, I needed to give you a shot, give you an opportunity to serve in ministry. And the rest, <laughs> you shall say, is history. Jason oh, would serve and work uh, with me for nearly six, over six years before he would uh, graduate Div School at Gardner-Webb at Gardner there and, and uh, go on. He'd marry Heather. He'd come back as our student pastor. But Jason, so Ooh. glad you're here. And we are about out of time. And I want you to take just just a, a minute or two, share just a brief word of challenge or encouragement to someone who's listening. Uh, well, guys, um, you know, if you're listening, I appreciate you hearing my story. It's, it's just an honor to tell it, and I appreciate you tuning in. Um, and you might be where I have been all my life. Um, I think one of the things that I would say uh, to myself, uh, and I hope it resonates with you, is God uses the unprepared. I can't tell you how many times in my life, uh, even still today, I feel like, wow, without without God, <laughs> I have no idea where I would be. Um, when I when I worked at the nursing home, I had no idea how to wash dishes except for dishes at home. And it's really different in a business. I've never been a waiter before in my life. I've never really served uh, senior adults before in that kind of caring capacity. Um, but God uses the unprepared, and he taught me a lot about servanthood and selflessness and putting others before you and caring for people and responding to needs, all these lessons. But moving in beyond that, at Family uh, Christian Store, um, I never knew how to count money. Uh, I never knew how to be uh, like a, a manager over a section. I, I didn't have the skills. I was young. Um, but God uses the unprepared, and he prepares you uh, if you're just willing to say, here am I. Uh, whenever I was um, going uh, into youth ministry at first, um, just volunteering, um, I didn't know if God was calling me to youth ministry. Ministry is such a huge field, and I was just like, God, you know, this is an opportunity. I've never had... Um, you know, a youth group for myself. I don't know how to even lead a youth group, uh, even like D nows. I've never been on trips before as a, as a, as a teenager. I didn't know how that would be. There was just so many unknowns, but God, when you're willing, uses the unprepared. And, and I hope that resonates with you because you don't have to have all the talent, all the skills, all the allness for God to be, okay, he's ready. He's set. Now I can use him. No, it's, it's none of that. It's, it's God uses those who are willing to be and I think the second thing that I would say is um, invest what you've been given, you know, invest what you've been given. I, I find myself in many ways unprepared, but then God does and has given every single one of us what we have. You know, uh, at that time, you know, I was uh, a person who was willing to learn. Um, and so God used what I was given. I was a willing person to learn whatever job there was. Um, I was willing to, um, you know, do things that was asked of me. Um, you know, now I feel like my gifts are, are teaching, uh, uh, leadership, 
um, and um, and different things like that. And so I, I can only use what God has been given. I, I try not to be caught up in this game. I know it's so easy to do. It's like, I wish I had so-and-so's gift. I wish I could be this. And that's a, that's a battle. But you know, that jealousy that you have, it only leads you to kind of, you know, just like uh, in Matthew's gospel, where it talks about the talents that God gives you, you know, he gave 10 to one, five to another and one to another. And the, the one that has the 10 talents, he went up and he multiplied those. He used them, he put them to use. And God was, well done, my good and faithful servant. Same was true of the one that had five. But for the one that had one, he buried it. For whatever reason, he buried it. He, he, he didn't invest in what God's been given. So it was taken away from him. And I, and I just, I never want God to um, be disappointed that what I've been entrusted with, I was jealous over someone else's something that I never put to use what he entrusted me with. And so whatever he's entrusted you with, you are unique, you are valuable, you can never be another you. You are you, and God designed you for a reason. In Ephesians 2.10, he says that you are my workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which I prepared in advance to do. So he knows the good works that he's prepared for you. Just be okay with that. Be okay with the gifts that he's had have given to you and be willing to be faithful to the gifts that he has been given to you. So that's what I would encourage you with. That's a good word. Uh, multiple words. Good word. Thank you for sharing. Absolutely. Um, I know that, um, you know, as we wrap up today, I'd like to pray for us and uh, thank you for being here and just great truth. You know, I've seen God, God grow you um, through the years and evidence of his life uh, that he's poured into you. And uh, thank you for your friendship and, uh, and especially today being on sharing part of your story. Well, thank you. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for uh, for my, my friend Jason, uh, my brother in Christ. Thank you for how um, you worked in his family and such a good foundation of faith and um, how even through the struggles and the challenges of uh, teenage years and finding his way uh, that you, you, you kept um, calling him, kept leading him, kept convicting him, and really showing him the way and what an evidence of your life in him. And Lord, I thank you that you sent him our way and grateful that he is, um, he's been a part of my life. Lord, thank you um, for those who, who may have tuned in today watching or listening. And I pray that no matter who's hearing um, this today, that they would find encouragement that if you call them, that you're going to equip them, uh, that no matter... Uh, what lies ahead that they can trust you and walk with you in faith and you will provide for them each and every step of the way. God, thank you for our time in this episode and we give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, buddy. Well, thank you. I'm going to sign off uh, in just a second, but uh, Jason, uh, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Okay. Well, it is time and uh, Jason may go down as one of our longer episodes and uh, God's gifted him uh, with the gift of gab, as I like to say, but Jason has a lot to say. God has done so much in his life, and and really, if you have a, a conversation with with Jason, that's one of the things that's um, really apparent is that God's continuing to grow him. Uh, so, listen, thank you for tuning in. Hearing Jason's story has crossed over uh, from death to life, and um, as I close. Uh, please remember to listen, to like, to share, and subscribe. The more you subscribe, the more you share it, the more people can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That no matter who you are, uh, God can bring life to you. 
And as I have said in each of our shows, um, don't forget, as long as there is breath in your lungs, you have hope. And hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. So remember, through Jesus, you believe in him, follow him. You will cross over from death to life. Until next time, next week's episode, take care.